Welcome to the Secret Lives of Chiropractors, where we get personal with chiropractic leaders, mentors, and influential entrepreneurs. And I mean, really, really personal. So personal that the things that they will open up in here, they haven't shared anywhere else. Today, I had Dr. Tamara McIntyre on here. And man, get ready for a powerful conversation. Everything from her relationship with her mom and healing from that all the way to the judgment that she has received as a female gay chiropractor in leadership and of course everything in between. Um, She is by far the most powerful and healing conversation for me personally that I've had on this show. And I know that it will resonate with you if you have ever felt alone or struggled with fitting in. Um, Her core message is beautiful, which is be you, be you despite the criticism, be you despite the image, be you despite what the general population wants you to be, and be you despite the inner voice that's less than empowering. And I know that is, that's a beautiful message. Uh, and, and hopefully we get that across today. In uh, working with so many chiropractors and entrepreneurs, I know the importance of this. And the more you show up authentically in your life, the more free you will be. I also noticed that a lot of chiropractors and just individuals in general uh, who don't have clarity around who they actually are, And I'll be the first to admit that I didn't for the longest time either, but uh, the core trainings that I have inside of Elevate Club are to help you gain clarity in who you are, your vision for your life, and your vision for your practice. And then, of course, the real work actually begins in uh, when you show up authentically as just that, exactly who you are and exactly where you wanna go in the exact path that will take you there. You can grab more information or join us at www.elevate.me. That is spelled E-L-I-V-A-T. And uh, you can join these trainings and learn more about them. Um, Be sure to connect with me on social media. Be sure to subscribe, share, and like, and all the things on here. And be sure to tune in to the next episode of Secret Lives of Chiropractors. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Secret Lives of Chiropractors. And I am so excited and so honored to have Dr. Tamara McIntyre, um, also known as Dr. Mac. And you probably already know her, but if you don't know her, you're going to get to know her today. And uh, you better look her up and connect with her because she's just one cool chiropractor. She is an internationally recognized authority in chiropractic care and functional medicine. Um, She was the former dean of clinical education uh, for uh, chiropractic college and has has been titled clinical genius, um, which I totally would agree with that. She serves as a role role model and a mentor for female healthcare uh, practitioners. And what sets her apart is her ability to translate her clinical expertise into tangible, usable information, breaking down information. And that is, by the way, the definition of genius is being able to take uh, complex concepts and make them bite-sized for for everybody to understand them and have a better understanding of that. So I am um, super excited to have her. She's also the co-founder of the Prana Foundation. 
uh, and they offer educational, personal, professional opportunities to healthcare professionals, as well as chiropractic uh, focused clinical mentorship programs. Uh, love what you guys are doing. I have uh, always wanted to learn more about you. So I'm super excited that you're here. Thank you. Thank you, Nona, for having me. I, I love that you're doing this. Yes, uh, me too. The idea behind it is, you know, getting to know some of the most incredible chiropractors. I just, these are the chiropractors like yourself where I'm like, I really want to know her and let's have a podcast and give people a personal touch about you. So um, tomorrow, I I don't know if you've listened to the podcast at all or any other episodes, uh, but I like to start with uh, like maybe telling me a little bit about your childhood. What was that like? And I know that uh, those first five to seven years, they're such formative years in in a child's life. And so I want to know if you had any struggles then. What was your family dynamic? Uh, What was it about your childhood and that dynamic that sets you for or gave you some tools for who you are today and everything that you are doing for the world? Sure. Uh, so I am the oldest of three children. I uh, grew up in a relatively small town in the east coast of Canada. Um, my parents were an uh, my parents were really hardworking people in healthcare. It was really sort of part of the conversation that was at the table. So I think my concept of life and priorities was really defined within a healthcare model. My dad was a social worker. He worked in corrections um, for a significant amount of time, and then. Um, and worked with with alcoholics and addiction. Um, my mom was a, a pretty steely human being, um, difficult um, for me uh, as a child. Um, so I would say it's you know it's interesting. I the way I would describe my childhood now is very different than the way I would have described it as a twenty year old or as a thirty year old even. Um, because I now have different contexts, and so I would say I was a pretty sad kid. Um, really struggled in my dynamic with my mom. Um, struggled to be seen, um, had a, like a huge diverse interest set and I love trying new things. And so, um, you know, as a young kid, I, you know, did everything from play the trombone and the ukulele to, you know, right up into high school, I played basketball and was, you know, very involved in sports. Um, so there was sort of all of that. Um, and when I reflect back, I was a pretty strong-minded kid. So I'm also really aware that maybe parenting may have been may have been a bit of a challenge. And um, you know, I would say like when you say the first sort of you know those formative years, like I would tell you as a what I believe was like in third grade, like just starting third grade. Um, there was an event at my elementary school where we were playing outside. It was like a winter festival because I grew up in the east coast of Canada. And it was wet and slushy and I was a kid with asthma and I was really uncomfortable and cold. And so I went back into the school, which we were not supposed to do. I went into the principal's office and I picked up the phone and I called my mom and said I was done. Mm. And my mom got in the car and came over to the school and they were surprised that she was there and she identified that I had called her. And if I had called her and I was ready to go home, I was ready to go home and we went home. And that was a great, and you know, sort of in, like I just started grade three, you know, it was sort of like my first winter in grade three. So I am aware that I am as I was as a child and probably, you know, have that part of my personality where I'm aware that I have a strength that maybe has created challenge in my life in a way that I didn't expect it to. So that's, that's, that's interesting. Would you mind sharing? And I 
of course, want to know for my own personal reasons. I, 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 two couple of things that came to my mind as you were describing like your relationship with your, with your mom. One, you said it, you would describe it differently in your twenties, your thirties and, and now, right. For me, for the longest time, I didn't realize I didn't have a good relationship with my mom. <laughs> like my early twenties, I was like, Oh, I grew up fine. Like my childhood was perfect. Right. And as you get to learn a little bit more about yourself, you're like, Oh, my, you know, my, my, I really didn't have a good relationship with my mom or this was the dynamic. So I'm curious what that was like for you and, um, and how you would describe that relationship in your twenties and your thirties. And then obviously like you kind of touched on how you see it now, but yeah. What was that evolution? Yeah. So in my twenties, I would say, I just, I, you know, I would look at my friends and I would watch those that had this really special connection and really wanted to go home and were talking to their mom on the phone. And, and I just never had that. And I, it, there had been a lot of difficulty um, with us. There was a, a, you know, a few distinct moments um, that I would say in my childhood that I became very aware that um, my mom wasn't the kindest person um, and that her treatment of me was something that I didn't actually give a voice to um, until I was in my 30s. Um, and so, you know, in my 20s, I sort of watched other people and I kind of tried to like, like I was actually very conscious about, is this something like, why do I need this relationship? Uh, you know, there was times when I would go significant amount of time without talking to her because it, it like my physiology would respond when I would talk to my mom. Like I would get on the phone and it was like, and I would feel like I was morphing into somebody that I wasn't, or I would respond in a way emotionally that I didn't really feel was congruent with who I was. And so I just struggled a lot in my twenties to try to reconcile, like, is this me? Is this her? Is this us? Like, do I need a relationship? Do I care if I have a relationship with my mom? And so I was really kind of tormented in all of those kind of ways. And like my, my lack of relationship with her being a reflection of me, Mm. you know? And so it was sort of like, why don't I, or why can't I, or it's all her or it's all me. And so I think my twenties were kind of that. Yeah. And as I became who I am, I realized my mom actually doesn't know me. Right. And I thought there were like, there was this really critical moment. Um, and I would say like, you know, we sort of jump into, you know, my thirties, I think there was a, a moment where I would say, Nona, I, I thought, I wonder if it's ever going to be possible for me to be in the physical presence of my mom and not have my physiology respond or for me to actually be me in the presence of her. Mm. I, I wonder if that's ever going to be possible, you know? But what was the answer? So it's, and I don't want to interrupt you, but, the, yeah, but yeah. literally one of the things I, I uh, have, I ha- I used to have on my vision, uh, like I write down the things like I want to challenge and take on or whatever, right. not really a list of goals or to do's, but you would not believe it literally says have peace when I'm around my mom. Right. Totally. And, and, and I, and I got away with it and, and I, I can't wait to hear what you have, how you overcame this, sure, but I yeah. got away with it because it, it somehow, I got to a point where I, I, it lost the energy of it. Like it was no longer significant and it was no longer the thing that I needed outside of myself to make myself whole. Totally. And it was no longer a reflection of you. Like that's, yeah. you know, that, that was sort of, you know, you need to know who you are in order to give context to the relationships around you, you know? Yeah. Um, And so what I would tell you is I would say, you know, I would be remiss if I didn't acknowledge like one of the things that changed that was, you know, a a shift for my mom and I and also 
it created a lot of divide is that my dad died when he was 48 years old. And mm-hmm. so my mom and my dad got together when um, she was 14 and he was 16. So there was a really like there was a codependence and he was diagnosed with a malignant brain tumor when he was 46 years old and died at 48. And so my mom lost half of herself because in a, in a codependent relationship, so much of how she navigated the world, he buffered. And also, you know, they they really compensated for one another in a different way. And so that really created a lot of issues because I adored my father. And so I lost my dad when I was 20 years old and she lost her husband. And so we were both grieving and we didn't get along. And his sincere hope was that you know, he used to say we're a lot alike and I never saw that. And and so I'd be remiss if I didn't acknowledge that as being a factor that played into the dynamic between my mom and I. But I'll jump forward to answer your question. So my grandmother and my mom's mom and I have like, we're always really, really close. Mm. My mom, my grandmother at one point said to me, I don't know what's wrong with your mom. Um, She's just not Christian. I never raised her that way. Mm. And there was something so incredibly validating about that for me because I felt like, okay, like there's like, if she can see this in her own daughter, then it's really not just, it's about not about about me. So my grandmother was turning 98 and my mom was hosting her birthday party and at that point in our life my I was not on the invite list Mm -hmm. and so I picked up the phone and I called my uncle who was not my blood relative but married into the family and I said Maury I know Nan is turning 98 is there a party what's happening Mm -hmm. and he said there is a party and it's at your mom's house and so I booked a ticket and showed up and about three days before um, the birthday party, I contacted my brother, who I'm very close to. And I said to my brother, I said, look, Ian, I, I just want you to know I'm coming. And so I booked, you know, an Airbnb and I made my own arrangements. And my brother, um, it created some conflict for him. And so he contacted me about 48 hours before, maybe, you know, 24 hours before. And he said, I told mom you're coming. And I said, mm-hmm. he said, I needed to. And I said, you needed to do whatever you needed to do. Like, it's okay. Sure. And so I showed up, Nona, um, at my mom's house unexpected. And my mm-hmm. mom opened the door and she was crying. Mm-hmm. And I, in that moment, was able to give her a hug and say it was okay. And I felt more compassion for her than I've probably ever felt in my entire life. Mm-hmm. And in that one event... I realized how hard it must have been for her to not know her daughter, regardless of like all of the other issues. And so, you know, my own mother said to me during that that event, she said, "Um, I didn't realize you were so tall. Um, Can I touch your hair? Is it still really soft? And so there was just some really tender moments where I could just see this human being who is having her own experience in her own life. And I am a dynamic in it. And I could see her as a human being and I felt enormous amounts of compassion. And so when my grandmother died, we could connect. We are in communication in some way, but I feel wholly myself with her. Mm -hmm. And we have kind of figured out a way that we can communicate with a level of respect um, where I can feel and see her as a human being. And I think she can too. Mm -hmm. And there's just a level of boundary between us where our relationship just is what it is. And I, and I don't feel like I ever, I have to apologize for it in any kind of way. Yeah. And it's a lifetime of 
growth yeah. and processing and therapy and um yeah just human. acceptance yeah acceptance yeah 100 yeah, so how, how how long did you go without talking to your mom like by the time you showed up at her door how long had it been so i think it had been about 17 years that i've been in my hometown that you hadn't that you hadn't been in touch with her at all well no i'd had some contact it had been 17 years since i was in my hometown oh. so when i left my hometown i left my hometown i'd been there for a couple different things um and then i don't i'm not sure how many years in total like i would say probably we went i think we probably went 5 years without like That's any contact and then there was like always the dynamic of other family members you love it's yeah. like you know my brother got married and that was super awkward to show up for his wedding with her there and yeah. i got married and she wasn't she was the only member of my um immediate family that wasn't present and um yeah so it's just it's had this whole evolution in life and i'm just so thankful that i'm not carrying that baggage with me mm -hmm. through this stage of my life you know? Oh my gosh. Yeah. And I'm so thankful you shared that. And I love your vulnerability around it because I know for me, just this conversation has been healing. I can genuinely tell you that because of my dynamic with my, with my mom. And I know those who are listening, whether it's a mom issue or something else, it seems to me as though the accepting of another human being and the accepting of also the loss of it. Like I know for me, um, the things I experienced and did not, the, the things I experienced with my mom are one thing, like the, the things I didn't like, or the, the things were like resistance or trauma around it. But what was more painful was the things I didn't experience with my mom. Totally. Like the phone calls that my friends would make, like, it was like this big void that existed. That was always more painful than like, oh, she did that. And she said this, or she didn't show up like this for me. And I think that um, you put it beautifully is like, as you saw her and had compassion for her, you accepted the fact that she, she was who she was and you were who you were. And that dynamic created what it created probably gave us a lot of strength and a lot of independence <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> and a list of other things. So uh, that's beautiful. I love that. Um, now, since childhood to now, obviously uh, you and Dr. Mo have done, well, I know you haven't been with her since your childhood, but I mean like in life journey in general, like you guys have done so much together. You've done so much as an individual. And um, I'm curious, were there times where you experienced like, severe like loneliness or like struggle uh, like moments in life or and and if you did what was it and then how did you overcome it because that's where I find um power is yeah those moments of struggle yeah oh gosh I mean so we we met in 27 years ago you and Dr. Mo met 27 years ago I think probably 27 years ago we met in wow. 1994 Oh, I didn't realize that. Yeah. And I, I would say this to you. Um, our relationship has had different stages and phases because it's not possible to share a life together where you, you're not growing at the same time. You're not growing at the same rate. You're not having the same. You might have 
similar life experiences just by nature of the, you design a Thanks. life together, but it doesn't necessarily mean that you receive that experience the same way. It's all within the context of who we are and who, where we've been. And just like we talked about the trauma of childhood of what we got and what we didn't. And so to be with somebody for that long, it just makes sense that your life has had different stages, you know? And so, I mean, I'll, I'll tell you this funny story. Like we've all, we've talked about different stages or phases of our life, right? So it's like, you know, and we've got like benchmarks where there was definitive shifts in our relationship that allowed it to grow, allowed each one of us to, you know, to grow. And so even just, I, I don't know, it was probably about two, three years ago now, maybe maybe more because pandemic kind of years have done something weird with time. Um, but we had this like conversation um, with a friend and it was like, well, no, we've had these different stages. And so, you know, she was like, oh, that was like, you know, stage one of our relationship or stage two or phase, you know, phase one, phase two, phase three. Yeah. And, um, and so I referenced and she was talking about it with another friend who was having some struggles in their intimate relationship. And I realized when I heard her talk about our phases, I said this to her, I said, well, wait a second. When we refer to phases, are you talking about phases of our relationship or are you talking about phases of me? Uh. <laughs> and she goes, she looks at me really seriously. She goes, oh no, I'm talking about your phases. And that, like, and that became a key piece. It's like you, as much as you work on communication, as much as you, there's still like, if you just can hang tight with the same human being, like it's not all comfortable times, but I'll tell you, I just so value shared experience. I value watching her become who she is. I value having seen her struggles and have her overcome it. I value being able to stand along her side when it's, you know, when she's struggling and I, and she's done the same thing for me. And so you know, I think that there's this misunderstanding sometimes with long-term loving relationships is that it's always easy and it's really not mm -hmm. it's easy to stand still. It's, e it's easy to stand still when you're in a good place and right. you're the person to be able to support. But when you're struggling or when you're having some discomfort or, you know, those times in our life where we've both not been in a phase of active growth or, you know, openness to exploring, those are really uncomfortable years, you know? Um, wow. And I think that that's just a reality of relationships. Like if you choose to commit, you know, it's not like it's always perfect, right. but it's really perfect 27 years later to have somebody along my side who is my biggest fan and cheerleader who I, you know, who can make me laugh more than anybody else who can celebrate things that are happening in my life in a way that nobody else can because she knows the struggles that I, I've been through to get me there. And so we've had all of that. Mm -hmm. um, and then there's the other reality, which is there's not a lot of, I don't know how else to say it. I'm just going to be super honest. Like there's not a whole lot of prominent gay couples within the chiropractic community. And so we realize that we become representation for people and we become a for place sure. where people can reach out and say, you know, like I even, I was just at Sherman and, you know, um, this year and 
I had a student come up who said, my, my brother has a son who I adore and I, he is, you know, I love him and I'm pretty sure he's gay and I don't know how to deal with this. Not because I, she goes, I have no issues. I don't know if my brother's going to have an issue, but I don't know what to do. And so I think people like we both feel really responsible for making that easier for other people like us, you know? Um, so there's that piece to realize that we are a different, you know, um, a different, different couple dynamic. And our sincere hope is that people can see us as a, a loving couple, but also recognize that there is, you know, there's, there's all kinds of different types of love and ours is as, as significant as anybody else's. Um, and, and we take a lot of pride in, in just continuing to show up in that way. So for whatever that's worth. Yeah, that's beautiful. That's beautiful. And I would say like, um, somehow you, you are, uh, like that idol power couple in, in not just a, not just the power couple that happens to be gay, but like literally you guys are doing with all the things that you are doing, but the, I know that it's important for, for people to, feel that sense of um, diversity that you guys show up as. Mm -hmm. And um, it's kind of nice to hear that there's that, that you feel responsible for it, not to give you the responsibility of it, but it's a beautiful thing. So we're living in a time where there's a lot of conversation of diversity, equity, and inclusion. And we have to be really careful to understand what that means because there's a whole, even in higher education and, you know, in our conversations, it's like there's so much money being spent at trying to make that make sense. And then the reality is it's really a human issue. Everybody mm -hmm. deserves to be seen. Everybody deserves to be the biggest, brightest version of themselves, whatever that is. Everybody deserves to feel safe to communicate opinions and feedback and to be present. And our profession has not had a lot of role models that have a level of diversity that that is representative um, and so you know i don't I, I think it's really important to create an environment that is inclusive so people i mean i think the market share of chiropractic will change markedly when everybody can see themselves in it and it's not just a subsection of homogeneity that exists within a boutique chiropractic practice model you know and so i i feel like I, I'm happily representing a, another, you know, uh, that that diversity within our profession. Even though I look like this, I think the message can come a little bit more easily from me, honestly, because I am white, because I am female. Um, the intersectionality of being gay allows me to be seen and reach minorities and be able to recognize that it's important to listen, you know, to listen more than mm -hmm. speak. When yeah. you want to create space for people who, you know, who aren't represented in our profession. So yeah, I feel really strongly about it. Yeah. And, and honestly, it's, it's an important kind of, I know that it's, it might not be like directly what you are doing. It happens like, it's not like you are, and, and you, you will, you are probably doing this, but it's not, I know that from what I've seen of you, it's not like, you are an activist in this area, but it's actually more important. Like you do this, you do the Prana Foundation, but also you happen to be this. Right. You know, and I, I, I love that. A window. I think it's a window. It allows people that haven't had a lot of experience. It's like, I'm not, 
You know, there's so there's words now that actually create divisiveness before people can actually even hear your message. And so, mm-hmm. you know, I mean, the fact that the word woke has become negative of the mm-hmm. fact that diversity, equity and inclusion becomes a privileged stance. It's like we're kind of living in a world right now where the conversations of race, the conversations of uh, socioeconomics, the conversations of divisiveness within politics, And so we have to just be honest with, if we can just lead by example, we don't have to necessarily, I think it's important to engage in the conversations, but I think if you can lead by example, and if you can create that safe space, and if you can own who you are, um, and people, you know, can see a little window and space and can see your heart, then my hope is, you know, like I said, you know, in my relationship with my mom, then there is an openness towards seeing me as a human being and being compassionate for, you know, sort of recognizing that we may not agree on everything, but my goodness, we have this shared core value called chiropractic in the way that we live our lives. And that's the unifier that is the most important, you know? Um, Yeah, absolutely. Thank you for that. So, um, and I normally don't, want to give voice to the other side and I don't like to give it any kind of energy, but I am curious to know for just for the sake of this conversation, have you had judgment or backlash or, uh, you know, anything like that as, as you've journeyed along this path? Yeah, totally. I, I mean, you know, I can think of a lot of different examples, you know, for me personally in my life, but if we're really sort of sticking within the chiropractic realm, yeah. you know, um, I would say, you know, there's some real gender inequity within leadership and chiropractic. Um, you know, mm-hmm. my personal experience, you know, I, I mean, I, I will give you two examples. One, you know, one of the, I was in a clinic director's meeting um, with a, like basically the clinic directors of a lot of chiropractic colleges. And, you know, there's always, there's always companies looking to speak to the clinic directors. I mean, they all want to talk to the, you know, get their whatever, blah, blah, blah into the clinics. Right. And so there was one very pointed moment where one of the insurance companies came in to speak to the clinic directors and, um, they were talking about cases that they had defended mm-hmm. very mm-hmm. proudly defending. A hundred percent of the perpetrators were male. A hundred percent of the, you know, the, 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 I'll say victims were female. Um, Overt, I mean, really seriously, like defended a chiropractor who went to a patient's home and had sex with them. Wow. And they defended the chiropractor. Hmm. Right. They're, they're saying this as a form of like, like we're so good that like we, we are so good that we can defend all of this. Right. Oh, I mean, so there was a violation of frauder. Um, there was um, and, and even just the sensibility of the people presenting was not even to create different gender dynamics, reverse, you know, sort of or even yeah. just, put a, you know, a, a gay dynamic in there. Like there was no diversity at all. It was very. You know, and so afterwards. Um, when it was all finished, like I was sort of like listening and thinking like with my eyes, I thought, oh my gosh, like you're wanting me to support you and you've defended these horrific violations of really somebody shouldn't have a license if that's actually what they've done, Mm -hmm. you know? Yeah. And so I went, you know, I was in the sort of the hall where all of the exhibitors are and the owner of the company was there and, and, and I went up to him and I said, at the risk of offending you, 
it's really important for me to convey how what you presented today at the clinics landed, like the clinic directors meeting landed. And if at this point in time, you are not aware of gender dynamic, power dynamic, there's nothing about like, even if you had had the sensibility to change some of those cases so that it wasn't so overtly um, wow. offensive. Right. Um, and and his response was shock. And then the second thing was about a week later, he caught he called me in my office and his response was pretty classic, which was, um, thanks for your feedback. Uh, do you want to help us fix it? <laughs> right. Um, so that I mean, that's an example. Right. Um, you know, I it was very I, we were I was interviewing and doing research looking at in different electronic health records and um, one of the companies um, in you know in a senior executive meeting had asked about my husband and my children mm. and you know that was that's pretty that's pretty common you know and um, and in the nature of the way we were interacting and this was actually even complicated for me because there was a continued like I you know didn't answer personally exactly what all of my dynamic was, but it wasn't important at that in that moment of time. And one of the, um, you know, one of my colleagues, male, stepped in to, uh, you know, to to sort of correct correct it in a way. But he wasn't really defending me. He was actually just sort of deflecting, mm-hmm. and that didn't give me an opportunity to actually acknowledge or answer the question directly, so that they could be more sensible, you know, for somebody in the future that maybe that's not, you know that using partner actually has, mm-hmm. uh, you know. Uh, um, and afterwards, he said to me, um, he he said to me that this is my colleague who said. Um, thanks for not correcting the error or making a big deal about it. Man. Right. (sighs) Um, Yeah. So, you know, so it's that kind of stuff, right? It's Mm -hmm. like, you know, it's going into, you know, somebody organizing a big conference and I was part of the organization and they were, you know, deciding on speakers and the pink post-its were for the females and the blue post-its were for the males. Right. Um, it's those kind of things that I think, you know, if you are if you aren't part of a minority, then, you know, those are the things that can continue to happen unless you actually have a level of awareness that that actually is not an inclusive environment. Yeah. Um, but there's those kind of moments where, you know, that mm-hmm. I've had. Um, and those are examples I've never actually published publicly shared, but it exists, you know, yeah. you and I, you know, talked very recently, like mm-hmm. I so appreciate that you show up in all of your femininity and power on that stage, because I know how much, um, how difficult that is mm-hmm. to do that, Nona, mm-hmm. you know, Thank because you. There, there, there's a presumption you know, when you're beautiful, when you're female, when you embrace that level of femininity, um, then you are making a calculated choice. Mm-hmm. To, to show up a certain way. Right. And you I know. know that the, the, the way you will be received by some is not going to be in the way that you wish to be seen. 
Um, and so I, I so love that you are the person showing up mm. in that way because your message is so powerful and you are so strong. And I think it's, it's something that other um, female chiropractors need to know is possible. Thank you. I so like that was really special for you to stop me at the last event we were together and tell me that it really meant a lot to me because it also had taken me a long time to get there. And even more special for you to say all of this and share everything, the adversity that comes with being a minority. And I think um, there are challenges to, to any, anytime you show up differently than the average population, there are challenges. Just this morning, um, I had somebody um, leave me a message. And I didn't think I was going to share this on today's episode with Dr. Mack, why but, <laughs> but why not? Here we are. So your lives are kind of factors. Um, and she said to me that she wanted to, she'd been reaching out to me in the past couple of years for private coaching. And, uh, uh, I was just at an event where I ended up sharing probably one of the first times I shared about my um, journey and my divorce process. Like now I'm divorced. It's actually been a very long time, but I just haven't been public public about it. Right. And um, she felt like it was okay to leave me a voice message and say that she wasn't going to participate in my upcoming retreat. And she wasn't going to be um, coaching with me because I was divorced without having any knowledge whatsoever about what my marriage looked like. I mean, she didn't know if I was being yeah. beaten every night. She didn't know. And, and not, that's not the case. I want to be clear. Like my ex-husband yeah. and I are like best friends and it, it's all good. Right. But um, judgment exists out there anytime you show up uh, and I'm finding it more and more to be true. And, and it so happens that in my forties, I don't care. Um, I, I don't, you know, I, I would rather show up as myself and receive criticism and receive, um, you know, random DMs or whatever that might mean and everything in between um, than to show up as anything other than myself. It's interesting, isn't it? Because I, I, I remember sort of there's this moment in my 40s where, you know, it came across my radar. It was sort of like, well, in your forties, your ego is overthrown. Like you've had mm -hmm. enough life experience that your ego has been overthrown. Yeah. And there's some brilliance that happens in there where you can then go, you know what? Like I take feedback and criticism seriously, but I don't take it personally. Mm. And I also have boundaries and limits to, um, to what, what I will allow in mm. and what is just, there's no space for mm -hmm. anymore. You know, it's sort of like that whole kind of like, you know, we all we all have a sandbox. And when we're young, everybody's supposed to play in the sandbox. But at some point in your life, you have to choose who gets to play in your sandbox. Oh, and there's something that happens in your 40s where that just becomes much easier. It's kind yeah. of like, no, here's my sandbox. Here's the way I play. Here's yeah. my toys. I'm going to let you know that's who I am because it's the cost of not being you is far oh. too great. It's far just too great. far too great. So just be you. Mm -hmm. oh. Yeah. I, I love that. If you guys listening, if that's the only thing you got out of today's conversation, which I know is not like we've had a really powerful conversation today, probably the most powerful um, episode I, I, for me personally, oh. um, it, it's definitely touched my heart. So thank you so much. Um, as I want to, of course, I would love to talk to you some more, but I know we've blocked out a, a 
a specific amount of time. So I want to wrap up and be respectful of your time. But would you tell me, um, I know the thing about the regrets is like most of us are like, well, yeah, it made sense at the time. It's made me who I am and I don't regret anything. But but knowing what you know now, are there things you would do differently looking back? You do more of, you do less of, you'd focus more of or less of. Uh, my answer to that actually, just based on what we just said is I would have been me sooner. Me too. Yeah, me too. I, that's what I feel like, Nona. I feel like my, my personal inhibition, um, Mm. and those boundaries associated with showing up in all my femininity and all of my strength and all of, of who I am. Um, I wish I had just been me sooner. Yeah. you know so little good. windows of when I felt safe that I could do it and with certain people I could do it and then it was push myself a few more times and learn and do it but really like unapologetically just show up um, not take any of those things we've talked about personally and just know that that's what the world needs yeah. I wish I had been me sooner Yeah, me too. And I know that a lot of people relate to that. Um, Well, tell me what is new and exciting for Dr. Mack that's coming up. I know you guys have a couple of retreats. You do so many fantastic things. If there are any links or ways that you want people to connect with you, um, drop them in here. We will also put them in the show notes. So anybody listening in and you don't have, you're listening in your car, you can click on it and go to what she's talking about. Right. Yeah. I mean, I would say, you know, the Prana Foundation initiatives are really education based, but experiential. And so, so much of COVID, especially our launch of the foundation, everything was online. And so what what I would say to your listeners is in the next year, keep a really close eye on what we're going to do in person, because there is no exchange for that you know, what we've just had a conversation in person. And so we're looking at kind of creating not just, you know, we have the retreat experience, but what would it look like for us to actually have more in-person experiences that weren't, you you needed to fly to Costa Rica, you know? So we'll continue to teach. We'll continue to have these level of conversations. But I would say, you know, the the big movement for us as the foundation is to expand the global community, which we're we're doing by doing a bit more travel. Um, You know, we're going to be in Europe. Um, Dr. Mo is going to be in Australia. Um, And so we're really looking at expanding the global community and expanding the one-on-one offerings experientially through the foundation. And I'm, we've got some really fun things um, planned. So I'm, I'm really looking forward to, to being able to be present for people um, in the, you know, principally in the U S but, but looking at what we could be doing globally um, to really make that connection of like-minded individuals who are looking to just do some of that personal work. Um, and yeah, so that's, that's, what's coming up for us this year. I love that. Well, I encourage everybody to take a look at, uh, the, the Prana foundation, just go look it up and probably also a good idea to connect with, uh, Dr. Mac on uh, social media. Yeah. Um, yeah, so that, that'd be a great place to start too. Awesome. Thank you so much for such a powerful and healing conversation. Really appreciate you. Thank you so much, Nona. I'm so happy you are the person to be having these conversations. So thank you. Thank you. I appreciate that. Thank you, everybody, for listening or watching uh, this episode of Secret Lives of Chiropractors. And make sure you tune in for all the rest of the ones. 
I hope you enjoyed this episode and got some applicable nuggets to quantum leap your life and your practice. Be sure to subscribe to this channel and be the first to know when we release our next guest here on Secret Lives of Chiropractors. Also, don't forget to follow me on Instagram at Nona Javid, D-J-A-V-I-D, to keep up with my not-so-secret life. And um, check out Elevate Club at www.elevate.me, and Elevate is spelled E-L-I-V-A-T-E. We'll see you at the next episode.